breaking news. This is committed to crime. Hello, and welcome back to Committed in Crime. I'm your host, Rachel Farmer. And I'm her co-host, Chris Farmer. Um, so, are you ready for our second ever episode? I mean, it's better than the first one, because it's already the second one, right? Yeah. Let's not overthink it. I mean, this stuff has already happened. We're just repeating it. Okay. We're basically like 60 minutes. Do you want to be Brian <laughs> Gumbel? I don't know who that is. It's okay. Is that the host? Sure. Do you know who that is? I don't know. <laughs> okay. You're making me question it. <laughs> um, so today we are doing another true crime update, um, which also happens to now be a closed case because of this update. Um, so this this story is a little bit longer than last week's. I don't know if we'll have to make it a two-parter or not, but we'll just see how it goes. Okay. And I'm actually, this is a very interesting one. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Um, so I'm going to do my best to pronounce her last name. Oh, more fancy name. <laughs> uh, her name is Helene, uh, Helene Prusinski. Oh, the first Prusinski. name. Prusinski. The first name was definitely fancy. Helene. Yeah. yeah. It's a very pretty name. Yeah. Um, all right. So Helene Prusinski was a 21-year-old senior at Wheaton College, which is just outside Boston, Massachusetts, with the dream of a career in journalism. She obtained an internship at KHOW Radio uh, in the Denver, Denver, Colorado area, which she was able to work at while living with her aunt and uncle um, in their home in Denver. That's a really like far place to go out, like go to college in Boston, and then you're just like, so what if I just moved to the middle of America? Yeah. Well, actually, and this is like an interesting note. Um, I found all the best like tidbits of information from uh, news articles from the Boston area. See, that's strange. You think Denver would do a better... Uh, they had some. They had some, but it was like, I don't know, it was just interesting. Um, uh, but according to the Denver Post, so Denver did too. Oh, okay. So according, I'll, just, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> according to the Denver Post, Helene would typically leave the radio station at 16th Street and Broadway, take a bus to South Broadway and Union Ave around 6, 10 p.m. Then she would walk five blocks to her aunt and uncle's house on South Pennsylvania Street. They didn't have public transportation? The bus. But she would take the bus right. and then walk from the bus stop. That's like five blocks. It's so long, though. It's like, I don't know. It seems like a big area. I have no rel... I can't... I don't... I, I can't tell what blocks are, so... I'm not a city gal. I don't think you need to be a city gal to know what blocks are. Do you know what a block... I thought block lengths vary by where you're... Like, by what the city is. I figured it was like the street. Like, you go this way, and a block is like from this street to this street. Maybe. Either way, she walked five blocks to her house. So on January 16th, 1980, just two weeks after starting her internship, Helene didn't make it home, and her aunt and uncle notified the police. On January 7th, the following day, her body was found in a field in Douglas County, which is also known, um, or sorry, which is now known as Highlands Ranch, the field which she was found in. Douglas County is just outside of Denver and is a part of the Denver, Aurora, Lakewood metropolitan area. So it's it's just on the outside of the city. Helene was found nude from the waist down, arms tied behind her back. She had been stabbed nine times. That seems excessive. And there was evidence she had been raped repeatedly. It was believed that she was abducted while walking home from the bus stop. A witness who saw the suspect and the vehicle where Helene's body was found was hypnotized and provided a description which led to a composite sketch of Helene's killer. 
Unfortunately, the case went closed after about a year, but due to semen being found at the scene, law enforcement was able to retain some DNA of the suspect. In 1998, the investigation was reopened and the DNA sample was ran against the, na uh, the National DNA Database maintained by the FBI, but no matches were found. The case was again reopened in 2017 and a DNA search against GED match again yielded no results of an exact match, but did list several potential relatives. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. Is, are they doing the DNA test? Yeah. Like, so the semen that they found in the middle of the field. Yes. Not in the middle of the field. Uh, uh, With her. Oh, uh, yep. That's worse. Yeah. Yes. I thought they were just like, hey, look, there it is. <laughs> I, I was like, I was about to really it. line up. Like, <laughs> talk about needle in a haystack. You're just like <laughs> semen in a cornfield. <laughs> so that, is, that is impressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I feel terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is where it kind of starts the pretty crazy story of how investigators, including the FBI, the Union County Sheriffs, um, United Data Connect, which is a forensic science computing firm, and Metro Denver Crime Stoppers worked with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office to find and arrest Helene's killer, James Curtis Clanton. Not a fancy name. Very surprised by that. <laughs> In the year prior to Clanton's arrest alone, more than 22 de detectives supported the pursuit of Helene's murderer. And according to the Boston Globe media, two of the top matches to the DNA were contacted by the authorities and authorized investigators to access their family trees on Ancestry.com. This allowed them to build a family tree that was just all over, um, but ultimately led them to Clanton. So um, Ancestry.com and GED Match, which is kind of cool. I wouldn't think GED Match would be something for like DNA. Yeah, I would think it that. Is, I think that would have been like a like Facebook for people who instead of got a high school diploma got GEDs. Like farmers only. Mm. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> to give you an idea of how crazy this family tree was, Clanton's mom had six different last names during her lifetime, five children with two men. Also, at the time of Helene's murder, Clanton had a different name as well. His name was Curtis Allen White. God, I was hoping for Bartholomew. <laughs> Bartholomew sounds cool, though, so... It's another fancy name. It is, yeah. Clanton's brother was also a potential suspect and had a lengthy criminal history, but a further DNA test ruled him out, so they were able to focus on Clanton. As an infant, Clanton lived with his dad, but was raised by his aunt and uncle until he was about 13, so much so that he referred to his uncle as his dad. He was also a chronic runaway and spent time in foster, foster care telling police he didn't know his mother. In 1975, Clanton was convicted of rape of a woman at knife point in her home in Arkansas. He also, um, he had also forced her to drive him to a bus stop in Little Rock and then let her go. She went straight to the police and he was arrested at that same bus stop within an hour. For this crime, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison with 10 years suspended, but was released on parole after four years. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So what's interesting, I had to Google what, what a sentencing is where they sentence you to prison and then years suspended. 
Um, Is so, it like time knocked off? Uh, I don't know if you would say it like that, maybe, but essentially what it is, is um, the 30 years would be served, and then he would go on parole, and if he were to, like, violate his parole, he would have to return for the 10 years. Oh, okay, so it's like, he does his 30, and then... The other 10's kind of like a, like a consequence, like a don't do it again. Right, it's like another slap on the wrist, like the first 30 weren't already a slap on the wrist, kind of, I guess? Well, I mean, considering what he did... He was really dumb. If you think about it, he held a girl, a woman, correction, not girl, at knife point and told her to drop him off at the bus stop. Mm-hmm. And then stayed at the bus stop. Yeah. So you're telling me he had this whole plan? No. And then, oh, he, oh, he didn't have a plan? I don't know. Oh, well. I don't assume so. Hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically, he had this plan and then didn't even get the bus schedule. <laughs> okay, true. So he was just sitting there and he's like... When's this bus what are those sirens? <laughs> Hold up, that ain't no Greyhound. <laughs> um, so according to Boston Globe News, he was released to live in the home of a former counselor who offered to help him in the Denver area. Uh, during this time, he worked for a landscaping company and a vacuum company while living just blocks away from the bus stop Helene used to get home. After Helene's murder, Clanton changed his name and fled the state, eventually ending up in Lake Butler, Florida, where he was found. In 1998 and 2001, Clanton faced charges of domestic battery, and upon finding a booking photo of him at this time, detectives noted the photo strongly resembled the composite sketch provided by the witness. After tracking him to Lake Butler, Florida, detectives uh, first tried collecting a sample of his DNA from a discarded milk carton, but that attempt was unsuccessful. What? Uh, Okay, so it's like any form of DNA, right? Yeah. Okay, I just don't want to think that this is some kind of like (laughs) sick pervert. Please don't. Don't say it. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. Don't say it. (laughs) I don't think he was trying to make body butter. Okay. (laughs) Um, Now you may lose my place. Following this failed attempt, detectives followed him to a bar, watching him drink several beers, um, and then they were able to work with the owner-bartender, which articles differ on which it was, owner-bartender, to slyly snag his three beer mugs. Authorities found the DNA was a match and arrested Clanton in December 2019 for first-degree murder and second-degree kidnapping. That's so crazy that they can do that. I know. It's kind of cool. It's definitely cool, but, like, now I'm worried about people just taking stuff. Like, if you're at a bar and then they're just like, hey. Don't commit crimes. Well, I'm not going to, but you know that, like, you have some freelance agents who are just like. Yeah, but if, I mean, if they're doing it to catch people who commit crimes. Well, why are they trying to steal my sippy cup? Did you commit a crime? No. Okay. Well, I mean, I did steal a pack of Pokemon cards when I was eight, but that's different. (sighs) I'm calling the cops on you. Oh boy, they'll never get that $5.50 back. (laughs) Um, So before we go to the next part, I do want to share this interesting tidbit um, I found from an interview with a family friend of Clanton. Um, So you remember how, first of all, he went to prison for raping that woman at knife point. And then he he faced charges of domestic battery twice while in Florida. Right. Well, this family friend described that he was a, that he was guarded about his past and had told people in regards to his pastime in prison that he'd gotten into a fight over a girl and unintentionally killed the man he was fighting with by kicking him in the chest. 
His family friend also described Clanton as a non-violent family man. Somebody's lying. Somebody's lying. Also, I was wondering, if you're going to make up a like a lie for why you were in prison that makes you seem less threatening than the real reason you were in prison, why would you say you accidentally killed a man? I don't know if you've ever heard of Bruce Lee kicking somebody in the sternum and then killing them. That's pretty tough. Would you put Clanton in the same group as Bruce Lee? I'd have to see his level of karate. You'd have to see his kick. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do something on that with, like, Deadliest Warrior. I know that show's not around anymore, but, I mean, you got Bruce Lee and then Clanton. I don't know which... <laughs> Bruce Lee's never killed anybody with a kick. Clanton might have. <laughs> um, in an interview with detectives, he admitted to killing Helene. Clanton explained that he had abducted her at knife point, theme there, with the intention of raping her, not murdering her. He had bound her hands behind her back and drove her to the field where her body was found. Clanton described Helene as being as friendly as she could be, asking him not to hurt her. I know, it's sad. As he was preparing to kill her, he told her to get on her knees and that she would walk home after he left. Mm. So... He definitely stabbed her nine times, though. Right, so he was lying. I'm seeing a trend here. The bus stop, well, not the bus stop, the knife, Mm -hmm. getting the person to drive them, or Mm -hmm. him, and then indiscreet locations. Yes. And then, oh, violence. Forgot that one. That one's pretty important. (laughs) That one's pretty important. Yeah. On February 21st, 2020, James Curtis Clanton pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. Three other counts of murder and a kidnapping charge were dropped as part of a plea deal. He was not able to be charged with sexual assault because the statute of limitations expired. So in Colorado, the statute of limitations on sexual assault and unlawful sexual contact is five years. So it has to be, he can't be charged again with that within five years? Uh, he can't, they, they say like the um, proceedings can't must happen within five years of the date that it happened. And so if it doesn't happen within those five years, does he not get charged with sexual stuff again? Or? For that particular incident, he can't be charged because it passed the time, the statute of limitations. So after an incident happens he, in Colorado, you have five years. It sounds like their system's a lot like middle school. Um, yeah, but there's statute of, of limitations on various different things in various states. Yeah, but I don't feel like it should be like going to the principal's office and then getting sent home and being like, well, don't do it again. Well, you know, they can't do anything. They're the law. Well, (laughs) the law says they can't do anything. So he got first degree murder. Oh, that's a lot better. Um, Douglas County's lead prosecutor believes that the threat of the death penalty played a role in Clanton pleading guilty in a speedy trial. In Colorado, first-degree murder carries a life sentence, but a law in place in 1980 makes the defendant eligible to apply for parole in 20 years. Clanton was sentenced to life in prison with possibility of parole. The sentencing took place during a three-hour hearing on July 1st, 2020, where more than a dozen people testified about the lasting impact of the killing, according to an article by the Denver Post. Daniel Cunney, Clanton's attorney, stated that Clanton has felt a a great remorse for killing Helene, especially after becoming a father. He claims Clanton pled guilty to offer Helene's friends and family some closure. 
During sentencing, Judge Teresa Slade said, quote, There was a poem that Helene wrote that was read by one of her friends, and it said, Let us live today with every hopeful promise of tomorrow. Before, so before we end this episode, this went by way faster than I thought it was. It always does. My notes were almost twice as long as last show, so I don't know how this happened. I think we just, we're just bing, bang, boom. (laughs) Before we end this episode, um, I just wanted to cover some additional bits of information and the aftermath of the case. Uh, So Helene's attack was one of a series of reported attacks in the area at the time, but Clanton has not been charged with either, with any of those. But 18th Judicial District Attorney Judge Brochler um, said he wants to see authorities take another look at those cases if they might be tied to Clanton. Mitch Morrissey, co-founder of the United Data Connect, which was that forensic um, company, computing company I told you about, uh, and former prosecutor and Denver County District Attorney, said this is the third cold case they helped close, but it's actually the first where the perpetrator was arrested alive. Yeah, that's good. Helene's only surviving immediate family member, Janet Johnson, who is now 70, was quoted in the New York Times, the detectives and everyone else who helped to make this day happen are my heroes. Lastly, while at Hamilton uh, Wenham Regional High School, uh, Helene was in a singing group called Club Harmony. In 2006, a few members from Club Harmony flew to Denver to meet with detectives on the case and retrace her steps the day of her murder. And a few years after that, detectives traveled to Hamilton to meet again with the group. So they were, you know... I don't think you'd ever expect to hear that, like, a glee group helped solve the murder. Well, they they did their best to to stay intact. And I think the reason I included it is because it shows that she, she was someone who had, like, a strong community around her. Yeah. Which is... It's just upsetting. Yeah, it's it's definitely not ideal. Um, so her parents had also established a scholarship in her name, which her friends made sure continued on after her parents' deaths. Salem News explains the Helene Prusinski scholarship as being awarded to a Hamilton Wenham senior who has made a valuable contribution to to a music or drama production. So that concludes that story. What did you think? Um. Oh, that guy had a weird weird track history with knives and then distant places but i really don't understand how he can go for parole on a life sentence i i wish i had an answer for you i wish that you didn't have to give me an answer <laughs> and that it could just be one of those things where they'd be like oh yeah there's no parole it's a life sentence when is he gonna get out his parole's on his second life so if you were like if you say you say you served jail time for accidental murder okay you accidentally killed someone you went to prison you got out you're like i'm gonna start anew i'm gonna go live a brand new life and then joe schmo meets you and he's like hey man what you doing like where you come from and then you just stab him in the esophagus no <laughs> no oh you're going somewhere no. else yeah what <laughs> what crime would you say you were in jail for before <laughs> definitely not kicking somebody in the chest and killing them well, now that you compared it to Bruce Lee, I mean... Sounds cool, doesn't it? It <laughs> does sound cool. Like, imagine if you heard that when you were in middle school. You'd be like, that kid is so cool. Yeah. But if you heard it now, you'd be like, I wonder what his workout plan is. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Yeah, you'd be like, I bet he has some <laughs> killer... But his quads are just ridiculous. <laughs> Probably them glutes, though. He's got Thor's thighs. Mm-hmm. They're almighty. <laughs> 
He's probably just got like a random Thunderbolt tattoo somewhere on his body. Oh my but, goodness. Yeah, no, that it's a weird tendency to have. Like, and the other with that guy. What knives? Well, knives, and then discreet locations, and then them trying to like backtrack it and be like, well, he could have done some other stuff. But you remember that? What? From what you were telling me, like they were looking at other dis- disappearances of people. Oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and the thing, too, is some people get out and they're like, I'm a changed man. No, you just kind of changed up how you kill people. Right. Like how they called him a family man, um, but he also... Had a domestic battery at his home. Right. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that. You just... No, well, I don't even want to go there. But, <laughs> yeah, no. that It seems weird to vouch for somebody who has kind of like a history and be like, he's never violent. And be like, he just told somebody he kicked him in the chest. Well, the guy did say, like, they fully believed who he was until the arrests, until it came out that the arrests were true. Like, the stories behind the arrests were true. Right. So it seems like some of these serial killers are like the world's greatest con man to their family. Because they play this. Well, that's how you get away with it, right? Obviously not. They all get caught. I mean, for 40 years, though. I mean, come on, you still got caught. Yeah, he still got caught, as he should. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not saying he shouldn't have, but still, playing that the world's greatest con man, mm-hmm. like... Well, if you're going to play the world's greatest con man, I would do it for, like, money. Well, to me, the world's greatest con man is still Nicolas Cage. I don't know how many movies he's been in, <laughs> but man, he is just always in a movie. I guarantee you he's in a movie. If we go on to Google Play right now, movies, mm-hmm. I guarantee you he's at least in, like, three or four of them. <laughs> So that concludes today's episode of Committed to Crime. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Connect with us on Instagram at Committed to Crime Pod or email us at Committed to Crime Pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode. All right, bye guys. <laughs>